Open up that crystal Pepsi and get comfortable. This is Dope Nostalgia. Welcome to episode 68 and a half of Dope Nostalgia. This is the part two on Farmer's Daughter. I'm your host, Naomi. Angela Kelman was on the show with me today, and she is amazing. She taught me a lot of stuff about vocal technique, too. So all the singers in the audience would definitely get some enjoyment and a little bit of education today as well. The cool thing is there were three members in Farmer's Daughter. And I was able to get a hold of the third one, Shauna Ray. Shauna Ray is going to be on an upcoming episode as well. So this is technically going to be three parts with all three members of the group. And that one will come up at a later date. So let's get things started. Before we do that, we got a little bit of news for you. Hot off the presses. You got to adjust those rabbit ears. You got that antenna pulled up? It's time for some dope nostalgia news. So back on episode 41, the really talented R&B group Riff joined us on the show. You might remember them from the Morgan Freeman movie, Lean On Me. Well, they're coming out with a brand new track right now. You can check it out on their YouTube to see their new music video for the song Relax. Just search them up on YouTube, Riff, R-I-F-F, and check out the new stuff. Also, Nitty Green, one of the members of Riff, has also put out a solo new music video as well. So check all of that out because they are fantastic. Our guest on episode 62 was much music and broadcasting legend Ed the Sock. Ed the Sock's been putting together a brand new project, bringing back the feel and the original vibe of much music. You can help him right now to build this new channel he's creating just for us. It's at newmusicnation.ca. Go check out Ed the Sock on Instagram, follow him and help him build it by tagging some friends in the comments of his post that he made and check out New Music Nation. You can use that hashtag as well. And uh, let's bring back some of those old school vibes, old school memories of much music and help him build his new brand. Over the last couple episodes, I've been sharing with you about a very special craft brewery out of Georgia called Printer's Ale Manufacturing Company. And once again, they sent me a cool care package with a couple cans of Donnie Wahlberg beer. This one's called Donnie Wahlberg is the Talented Wahlberg. It's an 8% New England double IPA, and I'll be tasting it on the show with my friend James coming up pretty soon. We're just waiting for this whole, um, well, we want to get vaccinated, and then we're going to put together a special video for you guys. In the meanwhile, I wanted to give you some more information about printers ale brewery and the owner greg he owns a high-end commercial printing company think microsoft intel blizzard games all of those beautiful boxes you don't want to throw away that's greg and his printing company called printed specialties incorporated he decided to turn the back half of his industrial building into a production brewery to honor his family's german brewing history so that's the heart of their company they are brewing beer with the same precision and love for making things that their family has shared for generations both as printers and as brewers. So that's where they get the story of Printer's Ale. I see my tears cause I've done my crying There's no use in me denying My old friend this lonely gypsy Same anxiety is settling 
Now, since on the last episode, I did my Wikipedia moment introducing you to the group Farmer's Daughter, we're just going to get right into the interview with Angela today. So folks, without further ado, this is Angela Kelman. Hi, nice to meet you. It's very nice to meet you. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with me today. Uh, Jake, I was telling her that you guys are the first country artists that we've had on the show. Wow. Well, we feel honored, you know, yeah. We really do because, uh, you know, I, I was thinking that uh, about your podcast and it's all about the 90s and stuff. And I go, I, I, I miss the 90s. I totally miss the 90s because I was so immersed mm -hmm. in the country scene. And so it's like when, you know, when unfortunately when Gord Downey got sick and the Tragically Hip came out of every corner of media, it's like, how did I miss the Tragically Hip? Like, how did I miss that whole era? Because I was so immersed in the countryside of things. But there was a very active and vibrant country scene in the 90s. Yes, and, and it was dominant. Like it was, uh, I think the, the world stats, if, I, if, I know, if I'm quoting correctly, the market share of country music was over 50% of the purchased uh, products, music products. So, um, you know, it was pretty dominant with the Garth Brooks and the, all the major superstars, right? So kind of, and then we were always watching CMT to see if they were playing us and stuff like that and listening to country radio. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. And I grew up in a small town in Alberta. So country music was like really big in my junior high. Like Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Faith Hill was just coming out. I remember it being such a huge deal. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. And where are you from originally? Originally from Brandon, Manitoba. Wonderful. Yeah, right in the middle of, you know, the wheat country, wheat fields and uh, and the Brandon Winter Fair and, you know, livestock and so farming community. But I, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I grew up in the city. But um, yeah, pretty prairie. Absolutely. Are, are, are all three of you ladies from the prairies pretty much? We, we are from the prairies. Jake is a Saskatchewan girl and Shauna Ray is an Alberta girl. So we had all three prairie provinces covered. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And then we were color coded too, like blonde, brunette, redhead. So we... <laughs> I was such a big fan of the fashions you guys wore because you always look so like clean, crisp, put together, colorful. I heard a lot of Le Chateau was involved in that. <laughs> yeah, we were really lucky to be sponsored by Le Chateau. And I think, you know, I remember when we first started and there was lots of, I think, denim and, and cowboy boots. Well, I'm five foot two on a good day if I stand up straight and stick my chest out. And uh, and so it's like, I cowboy boots for me just didn't quite do it. So we kind of started morphing as the 90s went on into more hipper fashions and then the hair got more hip and then yeah. and then the next thing we know we're seeing the faith hills and the martina mcbrides and all of those girls were were in the fur collar retro stuff and so we were super lucky to be sponsored by le chateau for five years oh that's amazing yeah and i got I to put on big yeah and i got to put on the big shoes so <laughs> Because Jake's like 5'8", Shunnery's probably 5'5", five, five, and I'm 5'2", so it's like I had to stand up. Like, <laughs> yeah. And that was definitely my favorite clothing store. Mine too, for a long you know? time. Mm -hmm. I still like it. I just, I don't know. I, I think they kind of shifted focus a little bit towards more like dresses and such later on, didn't they? I think, I hate to break this to you, cutie, you're, you're, quite a bit younger than me, but I think that as you get older, you just don't fit their 
you know what I mean? Like they're, they're, you don't fit their, their, um, what do they call them? The model, the, you know, the size models anymore, mm-hmm. you know, cause they were really, 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 I think for like, we were pushing it wearing those clothes. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> At the age we were, <laughs> we were in, I was in my thirties. Um, I don't think Shauna Ray was yet, but, uh, you know, you're pushing it a little bit, but that's kind of, it's, I think it was geared towards younger adults, but really great fashion, really mm-hmm. great fashion. And that's one thing we were all about was, was keeping current and, and really looking great on stage. And you did. You absolutely yeah. did. Now, can you tell me about when you guys went to entertain the troops? Because what an experience that must have been. Yeah, we did that a couple of times. Um, uh, the first time, I believe it was about a 30-day trip. And it was, uh, it was. we started, I think, in Labrador, maybe. I think we did a base out, out in East, uh, Eastern Atlantic Canada. And then we went to Bosnia and um uh and we ended up touring around war-torn bosnia and some of the camps and it was really i think what i came home with from that tour was how how proud i was of canada yeah right because we we got a glimpse of above and beyond what the what the peacekeepers did like there were there were wives sending um supplies for children and women like military wives were sending care boxes over and our military um peacekeepers were helping old folks re-roof their homes and and help schools get back up and running this kind of thing like there was a real humanitarian element to it and i just came back so proud to be a canadian which i often did whenever we toured globally and mm. the other and the other trip that we did was Eritrea, Africa, and it was just after the um, there was a civil war uh, there, I believe, and it was um, I think it was over water. The things that we as Canadians take so for granted, it was over water access, if I remember my facts correctly, and mm. we were riding in tanks on roads that the Queen of Sheba used to travel, and and everybody, all the military personnel always had such great insight into the area that we were visiting and they gave us like historical facts and and we saw a lot of terrible things too uh post-war you know we saw a lot of displaced people just walking down the street and um and uh and 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 we saw some bodies up you know like the one thing about both both of the tours was that um mines landmines were used uh, in this warfare. And so there would be a body up on the side of a hill that no one could go retrieve wow. because the landmines, right? And this, and this brings me to think of Princess Di, Lady Di, because that was, that was one of her big causes. And this was about that time in the early mid nineties mm-hmm. that, that she was really advocating for, um, you know, uh, better use, like not using and cleaning up and, and that stuff. So it really took us out of our little idyllic world here in Canada and put us in, uh, on a stage that was just so, so, uh, realistic and so much different than what we were ever used to. But the great thing was we got to perform for our troops and they were so grateful because you know yeah. some of those guys are on i think six months tour those guys and women six months 
of a tour. Um, one of the things that stuck out on the first 30 day tour, we ended up going to, um, uh, God, I'm, my brain is not working so great today, way up north. It's our, it's our most north alert, I believe it is, alert. And it was a military station up there and it was early December. So Ooh. it's dark the whole time. So at about 7.45 in the morning, you see this little blip of sun and then bye-bye bye bye light. And they're in dark wow. for almost 24 hours a day. And that plays a few tricks on you. you know. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, we think we have it bad when it gets dark at 5 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try living in 23 hours and 45 minutes of dark. Oh, yeah, yeah. So rough. those those were those were life changing um, experiences for me, really affirming, you know, how great it is to be a Canadian. No kidding. I can't even imagine seeing all of those things you read about in the news with your own eyes and how it would affect you. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. pretty. It's 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 uh, it's a whole new chapter for those of us who have spent most of our life in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for doing that. That's a beautiful thing that you yeah. went to entertain them. <laughs> and you know, one of the things I loved about that is that you would kind of, you'd bid through the government to get the contract and get the tour. And so they would put, um, we would have a French Canadian performer and we would have us and we would have a dance troupe. And there was a comedian uh, troupe on one of the, the first 30 day tour. And you become a family, you become this little traveling family and get to know people in the entertainment industry other than musicians. And mm. it was it was a great experience overall. I always wondered how those gigs came about. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So that's what happens. They kind of the government would say, "Okay, we've got this. We'd like to do this military tour, entertainment tour. What do you got?" And so <laughs> you'd kind of say, "This is what we got." And luckily, we were chosen a couple of times. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, and you've had the opportunity, obviously, to see probably all of Canada. For the yes, most part. yes. North, south, east, west. I think the most Canadian gig we ever did was Nunavut. Uh, September long weekend. And if I remember correctly, um, Susan Glukark was on the bill. Kim Mitchell was on the bill. Trooper was on the bill. Trooper plays everywhere. I know, I know. <laughs> and Farmer's Daughter. And I think it might have been, I think Sue Medley was, or Sass Jordan. One, I can't remember. Mm. I think maybe Sass it was. But anyway, that was a long time ago. Yeah. But here we are, September long weekend, full moon, drinking Canadian beer at this music festival in Nunavut. And it's like, does it get any more Canadian than this? It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. What's some of your favorite places you visited in Canada on the road? I think that we did a 10 date tour of Newfoundland. Uh, that is such a, I, I just, I encourage every Canadian to do a trip to Atlantic Canada. Uh, Newfoundland especially stands out in my mind for the people and friendliness and just fun and we always loved going to Atlantic Canada, you know, always loved it. And so that I think is probably some of my fondest memories of touring and of course we were prairie girls so every time we stepped on stage at a 
uh, you know, a fair on the prairies or a rodeo that we really had such great support. I mean, it's, mm. it's a bit of a blur now, but because uh, you're in it, right? You're in yeah. it. But when we're together, sometimes we will, we'll say, do you remember that time? Do you remember that time? And, and, uh, and can, you know, call up some really good memories. And another fun one, I don't know if you're going to ask us about this is when we went to play uh, the Free Wheels Festival in Clermont-Ferrand, France. Wow. Do you, know, do you know about that one? Okay, so, you know, I, I don't think I was on the internet much back then and I was touring. And so I'm telling one of my really good friends, I said, yeah, we're doing this Free Wheels Festival. The year before we had done uh, Euro Disney just outside of Paris. So uh, we stayed at Euro Disney and it was about, I don't know, I think it was an hour train right outside of, of Paris or whatever. But the the guy who booked us for that, booked us for this Free Wheels Festival the next year. And I'm so we start to learn a little bit more about it. And I said to my buddy, um, so we're doing this Clermont-Ferrand France uh, Free Wheels Festival. And he, he did a little research and he said, do you know what that is? And I said, no. He said, it's a motorcycle convention predominantly attended by Hell's Angels. <laughs> I went, really? And it, it was amazing. It was amazing. And when we got there, it was like Joe Strummer and Wishbone Ash, all these really big uh, European kind of rock acts and, and, and us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I'm going, what are we doing on stage with these monster people in Europe, you know, have huge followings, but it was really fun. Uh, my, my niece was 20 at the time and she was uh, backpacking around Europe with her best friend. So they actually ended up meeting us there. And the afternoon of uh, the day we were gonna play, we were uh, out in the crowd and they had an R&B band that was doing Motown and that's my thing. Like I am, my lo- first love is R&B, disco, funk, all, all, all that stuff. So, um, so I'm just like loving this. And, and, and then all of a sudden these women come out and then all of a sudden they're like taking off their shirts and it's like, and I've got, I've got my hands over my niece's eyes and, my, and my, her friend and I said, your parents will never let you come anywhere with me again, right? It's just like, <laughs> But it got a little crazy that night. There's three guys rushed the stage when we were doing our set. One guy was clamped onto my mini skirt with his teeth. Well, then. Need I say more? It's all on video. We have that all on video. And last time we were together in 2016, when we got inducted into the BC uh, Country Music Hall of Fame, we watched that footage and just like laughed our butts off. Because I'm looking at the two of them. I'm always in the middle. So I'm looking at the two of them and they're looking at me with these eyes. I'm going, it's okay. We can handle this. It's okay. We can handle this. And I'm trying to do our little go-go moves with some guy who's attached to my skirt with his teeth. Yeah. Security? Hello. Security. But you know what? They are security. <laughs> the security actually didn't end up removing him. Of course, it was a party atmosphere and everyone had had too much to drink, but that's a standout memory for me. That is wild. Yeah, it's hard to dance with a 180 pound man clamped onto your skirt with his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that's an unforgettable event, I'm sure. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and it's, I'm glad you mentioned the BC Country Hall of Fame ceremony because that was my next question. Was I'm it? You, was about that experience being inducted into the British Columbia Hall of Fame. Like, yeah, big yeah. Deal. That is a big deal. I, yeah. You know, the, it's hard um, with awards. 
you you need to kind of, I, I, we're always grateful for awards. And to me, awards always signify a validation of how hard we worked. Because mm -hmm. there was a joke in, in the industry, you know, the hardest working band in showbiz, Farmer's Daughter. And we were, we toured a lot. We were always doing media when we were on tour. It was like radio starting at seven in the morning or earlier and going all day and doing TV and radio and meet and greets and sound check and then get on the stage. And then if you're lucky, go back to the hotel. If it has a lounge, have a beer mm -hmm. and then, you know, get to bed and repeat. And, and it was it was a great, a great fun, but that is what awards mean to me. It's a validation of how hard we worked. Mm. So to be inducted to the BC Country Music Hall of Fame was super special because, and also you want to always, um, you feel extra special when it's your home area. Yeah. that's acknowledging you so we were really fortunate we always had great support from the the country music um, association here in british columbia that is that's something else man that's a huge thing and i mean yeah. bc has a legacy of a lot of great music coming out of that yeah. province as well so yeah. yeah fantastic yeah we try not to have a an inferior complex to ontario and toronto you know <laughs> I, I like to forget that Ontario's there sometimes. We're, just, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're here too. Exactly. Yeah. Out west. Yeah, absolutely. Out west. Yeah. So in 2017, you put out a disco record called Mirrorball. Oh, you've done your homework. Absolutely. Yes, and, yes. And you're mentioning that the, your first love is like soul R&B and whatnot. So tell me about making this album. Well, you know, for since 93, I've been, I've been, co-writing and working with a producer here on the west coast named alan roger and uh, music bc has put out some amazing grant opportunities uh over the last few years and um he went to you know he phoned me up he said kid we can we, we're gonna make a record we're gonna apply for this grant and uh it's gonna be disco and i <laughs> said whoa i'm in so Writing is something that comes in spurts with me. So I hadn't written, I'd, I'd written a lot of kids stuff uh, earlier um, when after my son was born, because mm -hmm. everything's a song once you have a baby. But, mm -hmm. um, uh, and so I, I really had to discipline myself because at the same time I'm running my music school, I'm teaching 13 classes a week and I'm teaching mm -hmm. a lot of private lessons and I'm mentoring a lot of semi-pro and pro level um, young acts and stuff. So I got, I got a lot going on. So I had to, I'd go into the studio and we'd do a couple of days a week and we'd just focus on the writing. So it was a really, and I always am a little insecure about writing because it's not, it's, if I looked at the three components of who I am, it's, I'm a singer first, an entertainer second, and the third thing is a songwriter. So mm -hmm. I always felt like, Ooh, that was, you know, I got to work a little harder at that, but it was so good. And and to he's such a creative mind and we work so well together so he would just write these disco tracks and mm. i would i would go to the studio and listen to them and he might have an idea for a hook or i would hear something that gave me a hook and then we'd just write a song around it so we were so so lucky to get a grant through music bc and we recorded that and uh and we recorded it with some of our favorite players in town um he and i also play in a band called the polyester philharmonic that's my band and it's we're a retro band and i have a horn section it's like oh. once a girl has had a horn section in her band 
you know, I don't want to say I can die happy because I still got a lot of singing in me left, but it is just, it is, it has been my dream ever since I was a teenager because I was a teenager in the mid seventies. So I was 13, 14 when disco 76, 77, 78 was really uh, predominant. And so it is so deep in my musical DNA mm -hmm. that to be able to make a disco record and have Tom Keenly side, who is one of the world's premier saxophone players, uh, do the horn charts for it and then have him and Derry Byrne, who also play in my band, come play on the record. It's just like it was it was a dream come true. So yeah, I always say, you know, crank it up and clean your house. A total passion project, right? <laughs> total passion project. And I think, you know, throughout our career as Farmer's Daughter, we pretty much went with our gut instinct a lot of the times, but sometimes you had to rein it in just a little bit, you know, to, I, I remember going to Nashville and stuff and we were just a little bit outside the lines at that time. We had a little bit, we were just a bit too eclectic for the Nashville um taste at that time because or what they thought what the radio programmers were selling to the radio stations because in the 90s i feel that that those those boundaries became very kind of narrow oh, and okay. we dribbled outside you know we do a, a little bit of a gospel flavored thing or we would do a bluesy or um we weren't we weren't country 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 we had some underlying influences too so um but i i digress so uh yeah so so uh i think at this point in my life in my 50s doing things that i want to do is really important absolutely you know, yeah absolutely. not not feeling yeah not feel and 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 the the industry has changed completely since we were in it completely there's yeah. so many platforms to get your music heard on Mm. that the audience is going to find you no matter what you know your passion project someone's going to like it it's not that you're trying to put your passion project inside that slot mm -hmm. right now there's so many platforms for people to find you spent enough of time in your career and when uh, trying to fit into this mold to get on radio I can imagine that if you're doing a little bit of gospel flavor and a little bit of blues radio stations are going to go well we can't play that because it's not this it's yeah. not that yeah and then it's like what station <laughs> yeah. is going to play yeah so, so Canadian Canadian radio was so good to us they were good. so good to us uh, mostly <laughs> There's just a couple of stations I have a, can I can bring up other things about, but anyway, that's one <laughs> one person's opinion. But yeah. you know, Canadian stations embraced us, and and so um, that was my personal take about going to Nashville, feeling like we had to really fit into that slot, and mm -hmm. so and we dribbled outside the lines a little bit because I think one guy even said, "Well, what are you? Are you a pop band?" Because we really straddled the pop line. 
And that was to our benefit because I can't tell you how many times after a show, and we loved going out and meeting the audience after a show, mm. somebody would come up to us and say, and they felt like they had to, to whisper it. I, I don't know if I should say this, but I don't really like country music but my friend dragged me here and I love you girls. We were almost like a stepping stone mm -hmm. to what was really, you know, the, the stuff that was going on at the time, because we did, we did dribble outside the lines a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so, so many times people became country fans because they liked our music and we weren't what they thought of country. And when Jake and Shauna Ray asked me to join the band and I think it was 93, I thought, Oh, I grew up on country and I really, I don't know if I want to do country. And then I started listening to what country was in the nineties. And it's like, this isn't country. This is the Eagles 1974, which I, yeah. I love, right. I love all the vocal bands and I absolutely loved the sound. And so, and then of course, when we sang together, there was this blend that was almost, they were, they are family, they're cousins, first cousins. Mm -hmm. And, and I spit right in and we developed the sound and then we just went from there. So um, I really liked what country was doing because it did become a little, it did lean a little bit more to the pop side of things rather than the twang side of things, the Western country yes. and Western. So we, it got a little, you know, a little wider. Um, in that way and uh and then we went a little bit wider than that and that served us well when we were uh doing concerts mm -hmm. because we love to entertain right up to doing the jefferson's theme in choir gowns you know well we're moving on up <laughs> to yes. the east side Right. So it's like we would throw shit like that into the concert all the time or do I got the music in me and come out in disco wigs like, you know, and and uh, retro 70s disco wear because yeah. we loved putting shows together and entertaining uh, and adding those little bits. And I I was lucky enough to work with a guy in Winnipeg in the uh, 80s who really mentored me and and he'd spent time in Toronto in the 70s and then we ended up being a lounge duo and having a band in, in the 80s before I moved to LA um, and then to Vancouver. And um, he taught me, uh, you know, he taught me some great ways to twist covers a little bit to make it really interesting for your audience is slightly different. And so when I came into Farmer's Daughter, I said, we got to do a clever cover. Mm. And so the first albums and when, and, and when you do a first album and I think Shania was was uh, an example of this. She didn't, I don't think she toured her first album because she goes, I don't have enough for a concert, mm -hmm. right? I think that's the reasoning behind it. If I remember the facts correctly, I could be making shit up, I often do. But anyway, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's what the facts were. So when the second album came out, boom, she's got all this material for a, a big tour and then the rest is history. So with us, we had to, after the first album and we had to start go out and, and incorporate some covers and stuff, you know, we would do fun things like, that's where Son of a Preacher Man, uh, the Dusty Springfield, really swampy Memphis sound. Well, we country, we made a country swing mm. and we put it into our show and it went over and then, and we had recorded it. And then, did we record it? Yeah, we did. Yeah, it got radio play. And, um, and, uh, and then, and then we did uh, one of my favorite things was we did Joe Walsh life's been good to me so far. We kind of countrified it a little bit and it was, it was so fun to play live and people respond to it. And, and it was, you know, building that audience the old way, because it's totally different. Now we had to go out and mm -hmm. prove ourselves and gain a fan. 
right? Nowadays, you post something on YouTube mm -hmm. or Facebook or whatever your Instagram or whatever platform you're using. And all of a sudden you're getting hits and likes. And if these people become a fan from that pl platform, if you come to tour in their city, they're probably going to come out and see you. Right. Exactly. So that's, that's a benefit from today's platforms for sure. Cause mm -hmm. you can build that fan base without even leaving your music room. It's right? so true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but we had to go, we went out and did it the old fashioned way we did it, <laughs> but you know, but, but radio helped with that too. Radio and television appearances because I think one of the milestone moments in my career, and I think Jake and Shauna Ray would say the same thing, is the first festival that we sang at where people were singing the words to our songs. You see them in the audience mouthing the words to the, your songs that you've recorded and that are getting radio played. And that was like a ah, moment that's like, people are really paying attention and they really care. Yes. So that, you know, it's like Sally Field, you like us, you really like us. But it was that, right? It was that it was, wow, this medium is actually reaching these people and they're paying attention. And aren't we lucky? That's the moment you you hope for, I think. Yeah, as, that. As, as an original artist is yeah. that you've reached them. Yeah, that, exactly. That and when a drag queen show does you. Oh yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bet. I bet. We we did a we did some um work in Vegas in the mid-90s and uh and the Nevada casino circuit. And you know, you're driving down the strip in Vegas and it's so and so is Reba and so and so is Dolly. And we just thought, wow, you kind of know you've made it when the drag queens <laughs> want to do you right so we're yeah. jump ahead a couple of years we're in calgary we're at a london drugs doing working with revlon we were uh part of the kiss for the cure campaign awareness of breast cancer research and and um uh it was a charity and so the makeup artist was lovely and he's doing our face and revlon stuff before we do a little acoustic set in the makeup department at london drugs and he goes i don't know if i should tell you girls this but i'm in a drag show and we're doing you <laughs> are you kidding me so of course we had to go yes. so we showed up that night at the drag bar right and i'll tell you those girls had better arms than I had. It's a, it's wow. <laughs> they were beautiful. They were fabulous. And it was mm -hmm. so fun. And, and, you know, it was just such a, a great night. And uh, we really felt honored that they would sing one of our songs. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Guess what, friends? I have a new voicemail number just for you. Give us a call at Dope Nostalgia. Our number is 780-851-8785. Leave us a message. Pick up the phone just like you used to in the old days. Remember before text messaging? Yeah, we used to actually call each other. If you just want to be heard and be on the podcast, give us a call. Once again, our Dope Nostalgia hotline, 780-851-8785. Pick up the phone. Remember, this number is Canadian, so long-distance charges may apply. This is Brooke. And this is Nikki. And this is my so-called whatever. Hey! Hey, guys. We're in 80s and 90s slash NKOTV podcast. That's new kids on the block, if you didn't know that. We're here to share your stories. Yeah. And ours. Yeah. And uh, have a good time. Have a great time. Let's be nostalgic. Talk about what it was like growing up. In the 80s and the 90s. Talk about what we were wearing, the music we were listening to, the, the bands mo- we liked. The movies we watched. The TV shows. All the pop culture stuff. All of that stuff. That's what we talk about on this podcast. So, And a heavy helping of new kids on the block. Yeah, so, but here's the thing. If you aren't a new kids on the block fan, that's okay. Because we flip-flop between week the to topics week. each week. So we do a new kids on the block episode one week, which we call the block party. And then we do a 80s, 90s, 90s episode. So which is 80s and 90s. Yeah. And we welcome you to listen to one or the other or all. Yeah. Join us. Be our guest. Be our, our guest. guest. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. There's just one, and there's no mistaking it one. Just no faking it one. Why don't you and me do some fancy stepping tonight? obviously teach singing right? I do mm-hmm. so and you wrote a book on the subject too so I, I did yeah how did you develop a curriculum to be a music teacher how did you put that together that is a really good question okay so here's here's kind of what happened so farmer's daughter um kind of wrapped up in 2001 uh late 2001 2002 mm-hmm. and um I really, I, I really want, there's two things in my life I wanted to be, a singer and a mom. And I was 35 and, uh, you know, I thought, you know, I don't want to miss this opportunity to have a baby. So I ended up having a, a son in 2003 and I just, it just kind of changes your priorities and it changes the world. 
mm-hmm. for you personally. So I thought I can't tour anymore. I, I really, I can't like I, to, we did a few gigs with him when he was little and it's just like, this isn't going to work. And um, so I thought, what am I going to do? Because all I know how to do is sing. And I was lucky enough to gig around town here in Vancouver mm-hmm. um, in the casinos with my polyester philharmonic. And one of the things I love doing is lounge, piano voice and small band stuff. And so I had those gigs going on locally, which was great. And just, just the right amount. I wasn't out like in the 80s. I think I worked six nights a week, 48 weeks a year you know, in in Winnipeg. So in the Winnipeg lounge and bar scene. So I had the right amount. And and then I thought, you know, I'm going to try teaching. And so over 10 years of me sharing things with students, and I'm, I'm kind of self-taught. I'm self-taught up until the point I was 25 and I moved to Los Angeles and I went to Musicians Institute. Is that a dog or a cat? It's a cat. Hello, kitty. (laughs) Always wants to be a part of the show. No, so. no kidding. Hi, I'm here. Yeah, extroverted cat. Um, so I, when I went to LA, I uh, late in my career, um, after working since I was 19, 19 to 25, I worked at the lounge bar scene in Winnipeg, had some great mentors there, Tom Dahl being one of them. And then I thought, I really, I want to challenge myself. I feel like I should learn to read music and I should better myself. And so I went to, I looked into the program at Musicians Institute in Los Angeles. Hmm. So I went there for a year and took their vocal uh, program and it cleaned up some bad habits I had and it enlightened me to a lot of things uh, that I that I could do with my voice. And so um, I came back to, I moved from LA to Vancouver in uh, 91. And I met the girls, or in, yeah, 91. And I think I met the girls in 92. And then we went on Farmer's Daughter. And I would do lounge gigs around Vancouver and stuff and small bar gigs. And then I was on the road for 10 years with Farmer's Daughter, then got off uh, the road and, and said, you know, had my son and thought, oh, I wanna, I think I'll teach. And I didn't know how to teach. And so mm-hmm. I started realizing that if, if someone says, how do I do this? I would sing it because I could do it. And after all my years experience, and I would, I would tell them how their body feels. So it's like, okay, this, yeah. is how, this is how it feels when I'm doing this the right way. So I'm taking in a breath and then I'm using my diaphragm support and I'm dropping my jaw and this is what happens. And so all these things that people wanted to know, I was able to tell them how to do it. And I started taking notes and my students, if they watch this, they'll laugh because I, everybody gets a blue sheet at the end of their performance, telling them what they did great and what they need to work on and how they can work on it. Mm-hmm. So I, I asked a lot of my students who had been with me for a few years, if I, if they kept a, they kept their blue sheets, which a lot of them did, because that's what you're paying me for that expertise. And I started combing through and saw a pattern. And so I wrote a manual called the five point singing system because real, really great singing boils down to five points. It's like a, pilot checklist mm-hmm. and and they and it starts with breathing and diaphragm support and then those two work together for uh, creating the right placement in your voice and then there's something called vocal path which is the trajectory that your voice comes out of your body mm-hmm. and the last thing is manipulate manipulating the shape of your mouth to modify or open the vowels right ah, yeah. yeah so those five things you can pretty much fix 98 percent of vocal issues with one of those five points 
Yes. Breathing is everything. Well, you would know that you would know that because you use your voice for a living. So you always have to fuel up. And I I just have to say, and and it's so great that you're not one of these uh, broadcasters, but I've been listening to um, different stations uh, lately and I'm hearing a trend, and this was brought to me, brought up to me by a vocal coach named Tamara Beattie. Um, she's worked on The Voice, and I got to do a, a week-long retreat with her for the um, uh, the Peak Performance Project. It was called, and it was we were sequestered with a bunch of musicians. That was no fun at all. <laughs> And we were vocal coaching them. So they were young, you know, professional musicians starting their careers and we were mentoring them. So she said she had been attending um, uh, a lot of the ears, nose and throat uh, conventions and stuff, or a few of them anyway. And there's this thing called vocal fry. And now that I became aware of it, I hear it everywhere. So you as a broadcaster and me as a singer and, and, and speaker, we know that we have to take an air you know, right into our lungs and use our diaphragm support, which is, I feel it as little pulls or engagement of the ab muscles to help support our voice. So this vocal fry is causing a generation, especially of young women to Mm -hmm. drop where their speaking voice should be down into their cords like this. And then there's this rattle. Ah, right. And so there's this rattle called, and it's what is, it's really Uh, hard on it. And that's (laughs) becoming, and that's becoming their speech pattern. You know, I lived through the Valley girl, right? We lived through the Valley (laughs) girl and up talk and, and all this stuff. So every few years, a new vocal trend comes by, but this one's extremely damaging because that is a physical reaction that, that after a long use, it might really damage Mm-hmm. your vocal cords because you're dropping down into this area it's rubbing right so oh. i encourage you if you are a teen to 40 year old woman think about pitching up your speaking voice mm-hmm. out of your throat because that's going to save you in the long run because you you know and, and the big approach that i take in my teaching is vocal preservation Mm-hmm. Right. So you want to, I'm 40 years, 41 years into my career, actually more. I'm 57. I've been singing since I was 15 and I've been singing professionally since I was 16. And I, there's only one time in my life I was, I had to cancel a gig because I had laryngitis. And I think that's the only time I can remember I had laryngitis. It was a farmer's daughter gig. And it's incredible. Yeah. You've yeah. taken such good care of it. Yeah. Well, and I think that I didn't really understand what I was doing until I started teaching other people. I did get some insight at MI and I got a lot of great information there. And I took that information and built upon it from my own experience and sharing with people what I, what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. And so in my, it's really kept me on to task too, for p- keeping preservation in my voice too. I, I had this great experience in Palm Springs. We have dear friends we go and stay with them. We missed it this year though, because of the pandemic, but this would have been our 10th year. But we, again, my friend, Tom Keenleyside, great sax player. Um, he was playing a gig in, in Rancho Mirage or somewhere. And I went to see him. Mm-hmm. We all went. And in the band was an 84 year old man from the Frank Sinatra era. He was actually in the group that backed up Frank Sinatra, the vocalists. And if you would have closed your eyes, he sang like he was 30. Yeah. You know, and and so he sounded so in control. He did not sound like he was in his 80s. And I went up to him after and I said, I I just want to tell you, I am just so impressed. And and I said, and I said, 
I knew he was in his 80s. I said, I'm assuming you're in your 70s. Uh, and I said, I, I'm a vocal coach too. And I just want to know what your secret is. And he said, I sing every day. And mm -hmm. so for me, one of the things I teach about singing is that it's athletic. Mm -hmm. So, and that's why we see some of the older acts who can't really sing or support their notes anymore. You got to keep your aerobic capacity up. You got to keep some muscle tone up. You got to keep athletic so that you can still deliver. I give often I say big notes are like batting a ball out of the park. It's like you shift that energy and you whack that ball and away it goes. Well, that's a similar thing to singing big rock star and diva notes. You got to take in the air and, and make that energy happen from your diaphragm support. But if you're like out of shape and stuff, it just won't happen anymore. So singing is yeah. very athletic. Yeah. I mean, and I've also been a singer for a long time. I know that if you're really trying to get that aerobic energy, you try yeah. doing it on the treadmill and, and yes. you know, like that'll yeah. really get you in shape. That'll get you in shape. Another thing I learned, and tell me if this is correct, but the way to make sure you're breathing from your diaphragm is if your shoulder, when you take a breath in, your shoulders don't move. Yes, that's one of my big things. So what, yeah. So, yeah, so that's a really big thing. That is a, I watch people and if they take a breath in and their shoulders go up, that means they're pulling in their tummy instead of popping. You have to feel some kind of expansion through your midsection. I feel my, my stomach kind of comes out. Some people feel it sideways. I have a really good friend who's a killer singer, Gord Maxwell, he comes out the back. He says, I feel the expansion in the back. Mm. And so if, as long as you're feeling that expansion, but if you're taking in air and you're sucking in, then the shoulders come up, you're creating tension and you're not getting in the fuel, which is your breath that you need to get under those notes with once you, yeah, that's a really good tip. And a lot of people don't even realize that they're doing it. And when they start trying to actually breathe from their diaphragm, they feel weird. It like, does. Like, they're like, it's mm -hmm. uncomfortable. I'm like, that's because you're not used to it yet. Yeah, exactly. And you know who the perfect breathers are? Babies. Yeah. Babies are the perfect breathers. When you watch them, their little tummy, their breath starts from their tummy rise and fall. We've become a harried society of chest breathers where we only breathe from the chest up. And, and I always, I also make the, um, uh, an, uh, correlation to yoga breaths. So if mm -hmm. you're, a, if you do yoga, it's, it's the same feeling as a yoga breath, but we're taking it into our mouth instead of our nose. Because mm -hmm. in yoga, you take it in through the nose and warm everything up. But we're, because of the small spaces in songs, you want to get that air in quickly. So, and breath, like under, let me just give you a quick little vocal lesson. So under the headline of breath, it's getting that direction. I call it air in tummy out, you know, and because I work with a lot of kids, I guess tummy has stuck, air in stomach out, some kind of expansion. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then it's the frequency of the breath in the song. That's really important. So how often are you breathing in, in the body of the song? And the mm. third thing is not every breath is the same size. Yeah. Because different ranges of your voice have different demands. So if you're singing a five word phrase in your chest voice where your low notes live, you might only need to take in a 50% size breath. But if you're singing a six word phrase with rock star and diva notes, the last two, two words, mm -hmm. then you got to maximize that breath to maybe 90% because those notes need a lot more support. You got to belt that to the back of the room. You got to belt that to the back <laughs> of the room and not push from here, but support from here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What a great lesson. <laughs> there you go. A mini lesson with Angela. I love it. I never knew I would love teaching as much as I do mm -hmm. because there's, um, 
there's a psychology, like there's a, we're so tied to our voices next to our faces. Our voices are probably the most recognizable thing about us. Mm. Right. And so like, I'll have not talked to somebody for 10 years and I'll go, Oh, hi, Barb. And she'll go, how'd you know it was me? I go, yeah, the sound of your voice. <laughs> so, but right. So, but um, there's a lot of trauma that's been done unknowingly, um, but still the same. Like, I can't tell you how many times someone has come into me in tears and said, I've always wanted to be a singer. I know I can sing, but the choir director singled me out when I was a kid and told me to just move my mouth. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. Or, or my brother and mom would tell me, don't sing, don't sing, don't sing. You're horrible. And they carry that. Right. Yeah. It's like, like my brother. And, and, and so people don't realize the effect of their words. Like my brother, I was a chubby kid. And in the seventies, there was a TV detective named Frank Cannon. And unfortunately he was about 300 pounds. That was my brother's nickname for myself, for me was okay. Cannon. Okay. So about two years ago, now he's 63 and I'm 57. And I said, yeah, well, you used to call me Cannon as in Frank Cannon. How that gave me a complex. I carried that with me for years. He goes, I never did. I said, yes, you did. So people will make offhanded comments that stay with us forever. Yes. And so, and I have all these women, especially, and there's a magical age where, you know, the kids are a little older, the career's established. Um, they want to sing. That's a real, that's a real point in time where a lot of women say, I really want to sing. Mm. And so, and it's finding your voice literally in the world. It's finding your singing voice. It's finding your, your voice in the world. And it's really, it's really freeing, Mm. you know? And I think it's so important. I don't care if you're good. I don't care. I have tools to get you to sing on tune. I have tools that can help you color with emotion. The whole point is, and I think I heard Jan Arden say this to Peter Zosky on CBC one time. He said, I, and I'm paraphrasing, he said something like, I watched you in soundcheck and you just sang your heart out. And it was just soundcheck, you know? And she said, well, Peter, <laughs> you know, Jan, um, she said, I think she said, I don't sing because I think I'm good. I sing because it feels good, mm-hmm. right? And that's just it. It feels good to sing. Mm. That feeling for me of when I've got a great song, like Now That I'm On My Own, A <gasps> Farmer's Daughter song, one of my favorites. That is one of my favorites. I know. It's like you get that feeling. It's akin to the feeling of falling in love. Mm-hmm. That's what singing well-crafted songs to an audience that's with you. That is the emotion I feel. It's very mm. similar to the feeling of falling in love. It's, it releases endorphins in your brain. It just gives you this other plane, you know, awareness. And it, it, that's, I think for a lot of us in the industry, that is much of the addiction to the industry mm-hmm. is the creating of that, of the music and the way it makes us feel. Mm-hmm. that's been a hard part about this pandemic um, yeah. when they've taken away the ability to sing like four people in an environment live. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's really hard to cope mentally without the ability to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I've uh, um, discovered from going to in-person teaching to classes online mm-hmm. is that um, we need that human energy. 
-hmm. They need to be in the same room and feel that vibration. And what other harmony is a perfect example of that. Harmony makes me feel so good. Like Mm. vocal harmony. If sometimes I prefer singing the harmony just because it's so enjoyable to hear the two voices when they hit. Yes. Yes. Or two or more. Right. (laughs) Yes. And you know, this was uh, circling back to why we're here. That was the magic of farmer's daughter. Mm-hmm. On so many levels, there, we were blessed that we had a nice blend. We had some great songs, and um, you know, it was ten years of of seeing our beautiful country and parts of the world, and and creating um, relationships that will last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it wasn't all roses, though. You know, like every band, ups and downs, egos, and 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 you know, and stumbling blocks, and and uh, hurdles to get over, and. Uh, but you know, with every great memory, they're all bittersweet. Mm. And so, but I, I don't think I would really do anything differently, you know? And, uh, and it's funny how your, your one step leads to another step, whether it's lateral or forward or backwards, but it's like that God bless the broken road. I mean, that's what life is. Very well said. Yes. (laughs) Tell me about the kids' books and the kids' album oh, and how that you, came about. You really did your homework, didn't you? I love I'm covering that. my bases. <laughs> Thanks. So when my son Alex was born, mm-hmm. um, I oh oh I just it's like love 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 love. There's just love. Um, mm-hmm. uh, everything becomes a song. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, uh, bum full of poo poo do 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 you got a bum full of poo poo and i mean that's that's the melody is guantanamera but bum full of poo poo you know so when we'd go to we'd go to the change room with like you know doing the the cha-cha to this song and then uh or uh get on the party you know i'm writing all these songs do what you gotta do you know so everything's a song everything's a song so um it's funny how things so that happened when he was born everything becomes a song and one of my students mothers opened up this retail store that was um the canadian version of uh, build-a-bear and so it was called snuggable huggables and she had this store and it was where you know birthday parties would happen and the kids would come in and purchase uh, an animal and then they could accessorize and dress them up and have this this thing so she said i'd really like an album to compliment, you know, the, what the, like, write about the characters and stuff. So again, Al Roger, Alan Roger and I said, yeah, we can do that. And we ended up writing this kid's album full of music about all these different characters. And I wanted to really make it about different styles of music too. Mm. So I would, um, uh, you know, we would do Country Dog City Kitty. So that's one of the kids' songs that's a big hit. So Alan would sing, well, I'm a country dog. And I'd say, I'm a city kitty. And, and we'd do this. And it was just doom, 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 doom. You know, it's a country, old country tune kind of vibe. But the moral of the story was, we're as different as day and night, and we can still be friends, and that's all right. Mm. Right? So there was always little underlying underlying messages for the kids and we'd dress up in the costumes and we'd do the performances and to this day up into the pandemic I was doing like 12 to 15 performances every spring for this um 
for a, a program out here called Ready Set Learn, where they bring in the incoming kindergartens, and then they oh. and then they'll they'll bring in the current kindergartens and the grade ones, and sometimes the grade twos. And I sing all these songs for them, and it's so fun. I get them singing and dancing. So. From working with uh, the store, which it, it ended up not uh, not doing very well in closing, but I had all this material. And so it got a Juno nomination in 05. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and so we have a Juno, which is which is like, I go, people go, can I touch it? I'll go, it'll cost you five bucks. <laughs> it's just, it's so nice to, again, validating how hard we worked. But um, so it just kept, it kind of kept growing. And with Alex being little and singing and writing and 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 then I, we started writing for the second album. And Alan said, I was walking to the studio today and I met this cat and he was acting like a dog. And so I said, what is his name? It's Frank. So we wrote this song, Frank the Cat Thought He Was a Dog. You know, bark like a dog, meow like a cat. If you mix them up, not, nothing wrong with that. Meark. So again, <laughs> it's like, you know, if you're different, um, being different doesn't mean it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Bark like meow like a bark like a dog meow like a cat. If you mix them up, nothing wrong with that. And I think in the world that we're living in today, that song for little kids is really, really affirming that your friends can be different colors, different religions, different you know, different mm-hmm. identify gender identi- identity different than you. All these things. And so uh, I always wanted to have some fun, maybe a little moral of the story. And I wanted to do different styles of music because at that time when I was writing, the school boards here were starting to slash the arts. Mm. That bugs me. Like Mm. I am a product of 1970s elementary school music programs that were so strong, that Mm -hmm. gave me the confidence to go forward into my life and um and become a professional singer absolutely and it all started right there in grade four mm-hmm. you know when i had a fantastic music teacher that said to my mother when i was in grade six she's really a natural she's mm. really a natural and so let her find her way basically you know let her find and i did and, and then i went from there and to a um a program in in uh junior high and then finding kids who were musical and performing in assemblies and putting little bands together. And then when I got to high school, there actually was a band, like a, high, like a band with like rock band. That yeah. was an extracurricular activity. It was called CP Express. We named it, it was Crooks Plains High School in Brandon, Manitoba. And then we did local TV and we did the summer fair and we started to do gigs. And then I got picked up by a local dance band when I was 16. And then one thing led to another. Yeah. And, and, and here we are like 40 years later. So mm. it's, it's been a great ride, but I really feel like we need to keep the arts alive. And, and when they were slashing things, I thought, okay, how can I be a little musically educational on this CD too, for these kids that are getting gypped? At, mm-hmm. at the at the education level so all these things came into play and I just started writing kids songs you know and I'd test them on Alex it would either be or <laughs> he knows he knows right he knows my biggest critic yeah <laughs> you nailed you nailed it on the head when you said confidence because I think that the music programs teaching kids how to perform even in groups um, for their Christmas concerts or whatever, it gives them that confidence to go forward in life. It's not just about music talent. Yeah, it's about even knowing how to use a microphone. I'll mm-hmm. say to my teenagers, you're, you're going to be the, you could possibly be the CEO of your own company. 
then you need to address your people. Or you could be the prime minister. You need to be able to work a microphone, work a room, be confident, not be afraid of the microphone. You know, that those are, those are, I, I have so many parents of my students who go, oh, I could never do that. It's like, yeah, you could if you if you let me train you. But um, but you know, it's like the kids are really getting this. Like they're tech savvy. They're the ones yeah. that are they after years with me, they're so confident. And the parents will come and say, you know, she gave this presentation at school and she knocked it out of the park. And then all the other kids who didn't know how to use a mic or couldn't hear them. And you you know, their kids stood up to the mic and projected and delivered. And it's like that's the kind of skills that these kind of programs give these kids, their life mm-hmm. skills, right? Yeah, it's such a bigger picture that the government doesn't see. Yeah. Sometimes when sometimes, yeah. I probably shouldn't get into Alberta government. No, (laughs) let's not go there. Let's not go there. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite farmer's daughter deep cut? Oh a deep cut that never never was a single. I'm gonna play a clip of it on the show. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think, you know what? I knew you were going to ask me something like that. So I'd hold out these. Hold yeah. up. Oh, I got to tell you a story about these. So, you know, sometimes you go to Safeway and there's the, they'll have the, the old record. Well, this is a long, this is probably 10 years ago. They had a bin by the checkouts of CDs. Sometimes it's books. Sometimes it's movies. Happen to be CDs. Mm-hmm. So I'm going through it and I went, oh. I'm, <laughs> I bought them all. Nice. <laughs> Because I didn't want, hey, I didn't want my friends to see it in the bin. No, it's okay. But we were a little bit ten years beyond our. They're clearing out their warehouse. I'm sure Universal. But I bought them all, and I and I realized, good thing I bought them because I don't have any copies. Mm. You know, I give them away. But I think one of my favorite uh, songs that never made it to radio is called "This That and the Other Thing" off Making Hay. This that and the other thing. Yeah. state of country music and like like the Luke Bryans and like like this uh, what do they call it like tailgates and shaking your I'm gonna be I'll be completely yeah right I'll be completely honest I I kind of backed out I don't listen to country like I used to and one of the reasons is because it all started sounding the same Mm -hmm. and so even when we were in it it there's a and, and some people in the record label industry or the radio industry might disagree with me, but this is what, this is my take. There, it was cyclical in that there were the hat acts, 
the Clint Blacks and the Garth Brooks and everybody chased the hat axe. The labels chased the hat axe. Mm -hmm. Why not think outside the box and go think about what the next thing's going to be instead of do what it, what's being done already? Mm -hmm. So then, well, you know, and then there was a fair influx of three girl groups. Mm -hmm. us the dixie chicks lace um there was those sisters i can't remember the name sorry girls but you know it, it kind of cyclical then there what i feel a healthy 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 um industry is is when you have a balance mm -hmm. of a lot of things and you have varying sounds and themes mm -hmm. so right now what little i've listened to i feel that the themes aren't as varied and the sound kind of is a bit predictable yeah and so I would like to like to see it go back a little bit more. And I don't know why that is, because I'm not in that that genre anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even in really in the music business anymore. Um, well, I am because I, I, I my whole life has been in the music business, but I, I don't it's too hard for me to keep on top of everything because it's coming at you from everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, and I and if I had to say to young artists, I wouldn't even, I'm not even sure what I would say to you how to get started in this business. But one thing I do advocate and very strongly, songwrite. Yes. Learn to be like really hone your songwriting skills because that that is a that is something that will take you far. So you might be more of an introvert that doesn't like being on stage singing in front of people, but you might end up being a killer songwriter that mm -hmm. people like me love to sing those kinds of songs because I love being on stage, give me a microphone and a light, find your light, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I just like, I, and I will, and I'll say again, I have not really sat down and listened to country music for hours on end of late. Uh, but the few times I've stumbled upon the station, I'll just go, mm, that, you know, mm. I'm not sure that sounds any different than uh, I'm not hearing anything fresh, but then again, yeah, I'll, I'll, someone may argue with me, but then again, I haven't really listened intently. I, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, yeah. there's people like Chris Stapleton who are adding a bit more flavor, a bit more flavor. That's yeah. more, yeah, more yeah, yeah. soul to it. Totally. So see, oh. we're straddling the bluesy soul, right? Mm -hmm. And that yeah. to me, that, yeah, that's what you want. You want that diversity mm -hmm. in, in a genre and you, and on radio. And, and so, and that's, and that's what I think will, will keep your listeners. Mm -hmm. Right. Agreed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> have you ever considered creating your own podcast it's a hot thing right now I know I might come to you and get some coaching on that you know I thought you know you know what I'd love to do I would love to do a disco revisit yes you know I'd love to talk mm -hmm. about disco in the 70s but yeah you know or even with my five-point singing system I mean um mm -hmm. yeah so I've often thought but I, I laugh and go oh Kilman you can barely keep up with the pace you're doing now. Like you're going to add one more thing, you know, but I love creating. Mm -hmm. We are creators and we have to have those outlets. Yes. And so, um, yes, I have considered that. I'm just not there yet. And when I am, I'm going to come to you for some advice. I'll give you all the advice or help you need. <laughs> okay. Thank you. This has definitely been something that's kept me motivated during this time of like having to stay home all the time yeah. is just being able to have this kind of an outlet so yeah. it's it's like you want to keep busy doing things you love yeah absolutely and that you're and you know and you and you learn something about yourself and and about your craft every time you do a, a new a new episode so 
Yeah. True. Yeah. And I've had such great opportunities to talk to people like you. Who have, this has been so great. Oh, thank you. I really wanted just to wrap things up asking you um, if Farmer's Daughter will ever play together again. Well, you know, we never say never. Mm -hmm. uh, geographically, it's difficult. Right. Uh, because Shauna Ray's in Florida, Jake's in Atlanta, and I'm here in North Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And so, but we never say never. And um, sometimes an opportunity comes up mm -hmm. and uh, and we can say we'd love to. And so, so yeah. I mean, you know, I, we we love singing. We love singing uh, together. And um, and I I just uh, I try to keep myself in really good shape uh, in hopes that those opportunities come up. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to like kind of like you know get in shape right before a tour. Right. It's just like I'm ready. Let's get on the road. Yeah. Let's go. I've been waiting for this. Yeah. Because <laughs> never do we want someone to look at us and go, oh. They're a little bit beyond their best before date. <laughs> I feel so bad for people that I had to have to go through that. <laughs> well, you know what I you do? It's it's part of it, right? It's part yeah. of the industry. It's like you gotta, you just gotta, you gotta keep, you gotta keep on top of it. Feel young, stay young. Yeah. Take yeah. care of yourself. You'll be all right. Exactly. <laughs> Kelman, thank you for being on our show. What a treasure you are. And thank you for sharing so much time with me. You can check her out at AngelaKelman.com, A-N-G-E-L-A-K-E-L-M-A-N.com. Check out all of the things she's up to, her singing, her teaching, being an author and a kid's artist. You can find it all out on her website. Now, once again, as I said at the beginning of the episode, the third member a farmer's daughter is going to be joining us on a future episode. Shauna Ray Samagrad will be here. But next week, episode 69, whew, we had to keep it spicy for episode 69, let me tell you. My good friends Chris and Adrian from the YouTube channel Rat Tail will be joining me for some not safe for work talk. 
We're talking new kids on the block again, and it's going to be amazing. So (laughs) make sure you don't let the kids listen to the next episode. All right. All right. You guys take care. Hey, kids, put down that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at NostalgiaDope, Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.